Well, good day. I'm Mark Sylvester, your host for this 805 Conversation, where we talk to fascinating people you'll want to know better. If this is your first time listening, thanks for coming. The 805 Conversations podcast is produced every other week. Please subscribe so you don't miss any upcoming shows. Our show is sponsored by California Lutheran University School of Management and Tolman and Weicker Insurance Services. Thanks to them both for their support and continued encouragement. And thanks to my podcasting partner and co-host Patrick from Polstering Press for this great studio. Hey, Patrick. Good hey, morning. good morning, Mark. How are you this morning? Uh, I'm great. I, uh, I feel... I feel alive. I'm, I'm trying to balance three things over here. I love that. Yeah. I w- I'd love you to meet Dennis Thompson. Dennis, welcome to the show. Thank you. Good morning. And your uh, wife of 30 years, Lois, was on the show a few months back. I know. She loved it. She loved it. Yeah. And, well, so much she said, hey, you got to go do the show. Yeah. Well, Steve Miles also uh, recommended right. me to do this. Steve Miles, Friend yeah. Of yours. yeah. Yeah, and also a guest on the show. And yeah, I've seen your list. It's a great list of people you've talked We've about. We've been very fortunate. It's, uh, it, you know, it's it, Patrick, we've gone from like zero to 140 pretty We blew past 100. Oh, yeah, just in like a year and a half. Right. No Remember, we were like, <laughs> let's, are we going to get to 100? See, in podcasts, if you get to, like, if you get past 10, okay, then it's real. If you get to 30, okay. You get to 100, you're like, hmm. And now you're at 140, and, and we're booking four months out, which just, I think, is a testament. There's a lot of fascinating people in the area. that, And I'm so insanely curious about what people do and, and their kind of that origin myth, how they got involved and what they are doing. You've been an architect for how many years? Forever, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, Since 1980. But I decided I wanted to be an architect when I was seven years old. Oh, no. Let's just start right there. It's it's not unusual, at least in this room, to hear that someone decided very young what they wanted to do. Now, what I want to hear, though, is what Tell me about that. What triggered that at seven? Yeah, my grandmother. How's my grandmother, you know, who was a flapper in the 20s, was oh my gosh. a frustrated interior designer. Hmm. And when I was six or seven, she gave me a little drawing board. She gave me all these magazines with pictures of houses. And I just got into it. You know, I loved it. So I've been on a straight course since then, you know, taking all the right courses in junior high and high school and then master, you know, majoring in architecture and then master's degree in architecture. What, what is it about it if there was one thing that would, you would say, that's the thing I love about it? You know, I don't know if I knew when I was seven, but now I know. Oh. It's the ability to create something in a relatively short time frame and to see people enjoying it. Mm. That's it mm. for me, you know, and I'm a local architect. I don't travel much, so I get to go to parties at the houses we've worked on or the community centers, and, you know, I feel like that's my that's my gift um, and it's what I enjoy most. There's that um, creating something from nothing that really fascinates me. You know, we, we talk to makers and creators, and, and I think there's that – that ability that architects have, I've got a fondness in my heart for architects, just letting you know that um, at Wavefront, our animation company, we had seven architects working there. And my partner, Bill Kovacs, uh, was a Skidmore 
guy mm -hmm. from Chicago and mm -hmm. had invented the first computer-aided drawing mm -hmm. software there at Skidmore. They could vi he visualized the whole wow. city of Chicago I mean, way back in the wow. day. Yeah. Um, but there's that ability to, to look at an empty space and see something there that the rest of us civilians don't have that ability. What, what, what does that look like to you when someone says, I want to do this, and, and you can see it. You can see their new reality before they can. Yeah, but I don't see it right away. I mean, mm. what's interesting about our profession is we have, we're not like a sculptor. We can't create anything we want anytime we want. We are uh, listening to clients, what they want. We have to pay attention to what the government has to say. Then we have the reality of structural engineering, mechanical engineering, and and so uh, I don't have an immediate vision, but it sort of evolves from all of those things when you put them together. Plus a respect for the site. You go out and see the sure. site, understand what the context is. Um, so rarely do I have a, you know, a instant epiphany. It's something that evolves as I start sketching and then bounce it off of people. You know, I have all these five, you know, uh, entities that I have to, you know, face and keep bouncing back. and finally come up with something that works well. I have long said that um, creativity craves constraint. Yeah. Um, that just having a white piece of paper doesn't help anybody. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Now, well, let's get an artist opinion. Yeah. No, I was having this exact argument the other day where we were saying, um, you know, blank canvas is the worst description. I mean, that's, that's a nightmare description, but people outside the arts think that that's a great starting place. Like, oh, when you just get there in the morning, there's just an open drafting board and just nothing, you know, nothing on it yet. Yeah. Isn't that great? No. It's like, no. No. <laughs> no, I've never been able to do that. You know, I can do some sketching for fun, but these are not buildings. Um, yeah, right. no, I, I am, a, you know, partly I'm responding to all, all these different influences. Well, you're a problem solver. Yeah, I think that's one thing about architecture school in general. It trains you to be systematic about uh, seeing a problem, coming up with alternative solutions, running those solutions by various people, and finally honing it down to something that works. And I think anybody who has gone through that process could do any number of things. It's like you know, project management. The um, School of Architecture up at um, Cal Poly San Luis Obispo there were two professors in the 70s, and I forget their names, but they wrote a book called The Universal Traveler, A Soft Systems Guide to Creative Problem Solving. You remember the title that <laughs> accurately, but not the names. I almost had the entire book tattooed on my body. <laughs> but you don't know their names. No, because that wasn't important. That wasn't the important. The idea no, no. Was, the, was the clutch part. Yeah. The, uh, I read it when I was 19. Wow. Fundamentally changed how I thought about creativity. And I noticed that um, you have done presentations on the creative process. And so I wanted to talk about that a little bit because they talk about um, the seven energy stages of creative problem solving. Number one, own that it's your problem to solve. Two, define the problem as best you can. Three, um, understand everything you can about it. I, I liken that to becoming a world expert on that problem. Ideate, what are all, now that you're the world expert on the problem, how many ways are there that, to solve it? What are all the various ideas? Then the selection, okay, pick one of those ideas that you think is best going to solve it, because again, you're the world expert on that problem. 
implement the idea, stage number six, and then stage number seven, evaluate how you did. And there's feedback loops throughout all of that. At, at some point, if you find I'm running out of ideas, maybe you don't understand the problem well enough, or you find that you implemented it, but it didn't work right, need to go back. And, and that has helped me in software, helped me in cooking, helped me in running a TEDx, uh, in everything. You know, what I like about that, and I vaguely remember the book, is um, I can't walk into somebody's house. We're talking about a remodel. You know, sometimes they say, well, what would you do here? Um, and I can't respond like that. I need to find out about the people who live there, how they entertain, how they live, you know, what their family's like, and uh, understand where the sun is. So I kind of take it all in, try to educate myself as well about it, and then I like to get some real quiet time you know, sometimes it has to be a weekend when nobody's around and just start doodling until something starts to emerge. And then, you know, the other part of my creative process is I have colleagues, I have a partner, Suzette Naylor, uh, bounce things off of them. You know, it's, it's, it's rarely just me that comes up with something. It's, it's me and others. And, uh, and then back to the owner. And if the owner's smart, they'll have some kind of response that maybe morphs it a little different direction. So it's, uh, yeah, unlike painting, unlike sculpture, it's a very collaborative process. I, I, I love the collaboration part of it. I was just listening to someone uh, last week talk about um, deep thinking. I've thought of quiet thinking. I've thought of all these, but he just, or no, he called it deep work. Excuse me, deep work. And I thought, he said, for two days a week, everything is shut off and he does deep work. And, I, and people, he said, people wonder, how do I get so much stuff done? Because he gets an insane amount of work mm. done. But it's just because he shuts off the world, and I'm just going to work. And we're so, I think, as culturally, we have a mass case of ADD. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. There's going to be a new term for it any day now. Yeah, right, I can't wait. It's some something bigger, more encompassing. Than yeah, because it's it's it is like that, right? We yeah. have that twitch reflex. You know, the phone's ringing. People are walking into my office. Uh, I'm getting emails. Now I'm getting uh, uh, texts from yep. clients. But I need usually like three to four hours of total quiet time to really get that first initial burst of creativity out. Then no, I got to stop. I got to stop. Walk away from it. You know ruminate on it it's while i'm taking a shower while i'm driving around i'm still thinking about the design and then i go back again and find another couple of hours of quiet time that's my process i i read that you did a um it was i think you taught a class you did a course on you were a speaker on the legacy of frank lloyd wright and i listened to a podcast a few weeks back about him and his school and how he got the best of the best and how they worked and I forget the name, I apologize listener who knows the name and is shouting at your phone right now, stop, it's okay. They're not shouting, they're just on Google. Yeah, they're Googling it <laughs> they don't, big time. I love I that would. you think there's a very dramatic moment, they just turn to their Google. <laughs> they just they just flip open a new page. But, but t tell me about his impact and the impact it had on you. I mean, it obviously had because you went and taught a class. Yeah. The book, one of the books you might be thinking about is The Fellowship yes. by Roger Friedlander, who's a sociologist at UCSB. Okay. Great story of how he set up his school uh, and how he used and abused students. Yep, yep. yep. Yeah, no, he no, was, there was, it wasn't was, a good, it was good news, bad news story. Yeah, not a wonderful guy. But what, <laughs> I, 
what I had said quietly. Said so politely. (laughs) What I had, yeah, went, he designed all the furniture in every one of his houses. And I love this story that when he would come to visit, the clients would have to put away their furniture and bring out his furniture because he was a terror. (laughs) You know, he would berate them for uh, putting this ugly furniture in. But I admire him. Rightfully so. Rightfully so. (laughs) I admire him because he he almost had seven stages of design. He kept reinventing himself as a designer. And he he had a lot of personal and political and public struggles. But uh, he was designing into his 90s and always coming up with something fresh. You know, that's very impressive you know it's a hard hard thing to do he uh, there's an interesting um he was a kind of in in my opinion i i he was able to step so far outside the parameters of what was already an accepted understanding of what architecture looked like um but you operate and function inside of santa barbara that has a very confined understanding of what architecture is going to look like do you find that 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 Mm, boundary mm. allows you a, a better playing field, or is that like like which is to say, you can do amazing things on a basketball court that you wouldn't be able to do just walking down the street. Like you have to have the confine. And and how do you how does that how does that you've been here a lot of years working yeah. in Santa Barbara? Yeah. Was was that does that ever feel constricting, or do you ever think I should leave and <laughs> work someplace <laughs> where I where I could do Frank Lloyd Wright style or or? Well, there's a Frank Lloyd Wright house in Montecito. And outside of the Pueblo Viejo, the downtown, which is, you know, well-controlled in a Spanish Mm. style, almost anything goes. Mm. Mm. And in particular, I'd say in the last 10 years, we're seeing a lot of very contemporary houses. Um, After the last couple of fires, clients who might previously Mm. have Mm. asked us Mm. for a Spanish colonial or a craftsman, they want a flat roof, contemporary, mid-century, modern. Um, So I, you know not working much in the downtown. I'm Ah. more of a residential architect. I've had a lot of freedom. I mean, I also pay some respect to what the neighborhood looks like. I I could not design a bizarre looking house in the middle of a a neighborhood. But, you know, within those those confines, I felt like I've had a chance to be created. What was the most fun house you've done recently? Um, A couple of those... um, last fire let's see it was the tea fire the Susita fire Uh uh i did three there for people who were not young people Uh but who wanted a kind of contemporary look and i was thrilled to kind of rush into that because that hasn't been my my whole career has not been that way in fact i feel like i've been very eclectic but that has been fun to do when you look at you look at frank lloyd wright it was about inventing new things and rethinking about it with you as a designer, what problems do you enjoy the most? And I mean, you know, there's so many problems to solve in rebuilding a house. <laughs> but is there? Do you have a, a superpower, for instance, like oh, you killer kitchens, or you just really nail the bathrooms? Or is there something about what you think would be if we were to look back on your body of work? I that hey, that's Thompson designed that. Yeah, I figured out really early on that. Energy, natural building, energy conservation was going to be a big driver of my work. Um, And uh, so almost all of my projects, wherever it was possible, have had lots of south-facing window Mm. that could take in the winter sun with summer shading. So just going back to the early principles of smart design, I've been doing that 
teaching about it, advocating it. I don't know if I told you I just got this fellowship in the AIA. Oh, congratulations. Yeah, this is something that like 3% of AIA members get. Really? Um, and I'm going to go to the national convention and get my medal around my neck. But it, it was based on my advocacy, teaching, and speaking about green building before it was before it had a name. Um, and so Before that was well branded and oh, it's really well <laughs> yeah I mean what I like now about it is that it's on everybody's lips right uh, green building sustainability you know, it's in the media it's a common term but you know I've been talking about it since the 70s as eco design or what it, whatever it was that's been the thread through my career and the other thing about my my designs would I, I like to make them light and light filled um, and well ventilated with natural. I mean, we've got such a great climate here. Right. It's, it's right. been, you know, my pleasure to work here. Although I must say that I had a early on when I got here, I had a, a, a landlord of mine who said, "Oh, what a shame! You wasted all your education by staying in Santa Barbara. Like I should have been. <laughs> what? I should have been in Chicago or Los Angeles doing big things. And that's not me. I'm, like I say, I'm, I'm rooted here. I." know the climate, I know the builders, I know how things work, and I love to see the results and go back and enjoy them. I don't fly in and fly out. There's a lot of grass is greener in that. You know, a lot of a lot of that thought that, oh, well, on a bigger stage, you'd have more prestige, whereas it seems like on this size stage, you get to have exactly as much, much prestige as you, as you, you know, I want. think, yeah, that's a good point, and it's actually, I have more control. Right. You know, if you're doing a big project in Chicago or Los Angeles, you could just maybe a small cog in a big, big machine. You probably spend your life in meetings too. Yeah, meetings. <laughs> I would guess details and details and frustration. We have in our you know residential projects here a pretty quick turnaround. You know, within a year, two years, you're seeing the results of what you've done. You know, that's interesting. You say that within a year or two years. So you you have this idea. So as a creative person, you have this idea. You come up with it. And you don't get to see it and get the gratification that someone goes, Dennis, I love our home. You know, I mean, that's got to be the big thing for you when you get invited over to their open yeah. house and they're all excited. And you get, so that's a, a year or two years down the road. And yet I'm thinking of our younger listener now who they need likes and affirmation yeah. within 15 minutes of posting something. And I don't know that they could wait a year. I found in software development, that was in, back in the day, it would take you a year. Now we're down to where we do sprints that are, you know, two weeks long in agile engineering because you, you know, your population just needs to see stuff new all the time. So it's interesting to hear you say in a short period of time of a year yeah. or two years. Two years, really, you know, it's from two conception years. to final move in. Um, yeah, I have been lucky to, and, you know, occasionally get testimonials from my clients that, uh, give me goose pimples because they've said something so, you know, flattering about it or so how happy they are. Well, they're living with it. It's yeah. it's right. a, it's so personal that yeah. that space. Hey, I have a question back to the fire con uh, you know because there's such a bittersweetness to like the yeah. fire, you know, rips down somebody's house but then at the same time there's this rebirth op opportunity. Um, have you lost any of your house like anything that you've designed has it ever uh, knocked down, fallen down, uh, burned down? <laughs> Torn down. Torn down. Um, I did a remodel when I was probably in my early 30s on uh, the main street of Summerland. Uh -huh. That was a pretty nice remodel. I think it was published in Sunset. 
Huh? It's gone. Gone completely. It's gone. where that very nice uh, folk art museum is now, or the oh, sure. folk art gallery. Yeah, I mean that's. I haven't seen anything burn down. Or, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, that's good. But the teardown. I mean, we have a kind of a quick turnover here in. Maybe it's American thing. You know, we don't. It's not like Europe where our buildings last hundreds of years. They are they're made of sticks and stucco, and mm -hmm. and you know when the property values go up. Sometimes things are getting torn down, but that's the only one so far for me. <laughs> On your list, do you keep track? Do you? I, I always I think about that. I, I've performed a lot of weddings for friends, and I have I have a score in my head of how many have su survived, <laughs> oh. succeeded. <laughs> I'm doing okay. I'm in, oh, the, okay. I'm in, I'm in the I'm in the black. I'm, yeah, I'm okay. <laughs> On the red. So, do you have a map in your in your office with little dots for all the homes? You know, I tried to do that, and I gave up on it. It's just maybe now a mental map. Yeah. You know, the other thread of our work um, is maybe it's two-thirds residential, but about a third religious buildings. Oh, interesting. Um, Nonprofit oh. uh, buildings. We've never been in the commercial world. That's why we're not downtown on State Street very much. But churches, um, I'm not— a, Why churches? I'm not a conventionally religious person, but I often— Strike it up well with the pastor, the rabbi, whatever. So I did the Jewish um, Student Center in Isla Vista. Hmm. Um, that's one of my proudest accomplishments because it's a— Why is that? For me, it's a big building. It's 10,000 square feet. Um, I was selected over 12, 11, 12 other architects. They did a very rigorous selection process. That always process. feels good, I bet. I was not Jewish, um, <laughs> and I had a wonderful experience with uh, Rabbi Steve Cohen there working on that. And I like, that's that's one where whenever I'm there and I meet a young student who's, you know, now it's been 10 years since it was built, and they find out I'm the architect, I'm like a hero, you know. Mm. Oh, we love this building, mm. we love this Again, building. Again, it's that personal connection. I right. come here every day. Yeah. And also I think it's it's a, it's a, kind of an exciting moment to realize that that this is from somebody's mind and I'm speaking to that person yeah. you know I always feel that way when meeting designers my wife's a landscape architect Courtney mm -hmm. Jane Miller and uh, and I think we've I think that's we where met, I've met you we met at the AIA yeah. Yeah. when you received your your when they talked about your fellowship uh -huh. yeah um, but uh, just that idea that oh this is from someone's mind this didn't just this isn't just a, a conglomeration of, of some builders putting some stuff up this was a this was thought of this was drawn and created uh, all from an from a unique idea and I that's that's I think when you get to meet that person there's I, I always feel very excited yeah. to meet anybody you yeah. know the in, the intent behind the design when you get to talk to the designer to that point exactly and they say oh th the reason we did that was and they lay it out and you go oh yeah, it's like getting to talk to uh, the Cinema Society, Santa Barbara Cinema Society. I know you you go to the films, yeah. right? Um, li listening to the writer or the director, uh, being skillfully guided by Roger through the Q&A process to hear, you know, what was their thinking behind color selection or the color timing or... Because it turns out all of those were selections. Every Everything was considered. Every single thing. Uh, it reminds me of... Uh, as our listener knows, I'm a Tedster, and, and I've been going to TED for many years. When we moved to Vancouver, uh, the headquarters are in the Vancouver Convention Center, which is right on the water, and it's a box within a glass box. And uh, I'm a TED host, so we got a tour of the building the first year we moved there by the architect. And 
that was spectacular when he talked about you know the natural roof i mean there's four foot grass up on the roof there's a whole ecosystem up there uh, what they did underneath the water to make sure there was uh, a, a viable habitat there but then just simple things like the way the lines of the wood went were to help indicate which direction you were going to go i was like who knows any of that yeah, yeah, no, it's very impressive when, like you say, you get the intent. The other, you just reminded me, uh, the Film Society, Lois and I have gone two years in a row to, during the film festival, there's awards given to the people who make the film happen other than the director and the producer. I can't remember what the right. term is, but they're the makeup people. Right. The tech, the music the tech, that people. was that Monday night. Yeah, yeah, yeah that is, because each one gives a little speech about how everything they did was in service to the story mm-hmm. yep. and you realize oh my god you know yeah the colors that the production designer um, used did advance the story or the sound designer you think that's oh, it's just technical no way no, it's no. really important part of the creation of the film so yeah I've we've liked that more than you know some of the films is that a fight that you have with with finding contractors that will rise to your design or, or will will take your design that kind of with that that same level the same level of 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 care that you created the design do the contractors always come come to that design well i mean they've got to build what's on the paper except when they don't <laughs> 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 you know there's kind of two kinds of contractors here those who really respect the architect and if they see a problem or they want to make a change they check with you first the other kind, they're kind of cowboy contracts. They're used to doing it their way. It's the way I've always done it. Yeah. And they don't pay so much attention. There's almost two kinds of clients, too. There's those who really respect the architect and let us do what we do best. And the others who come with too much of a drawing mm. or they've got their software this has really become a danger you know oh. <laughs> I've, dr- I've already drawn up the house I know what I want and yeah. it's a you know chief architect or SketchUp or AutoCAD yeah can you draw it up well that is yeah, really no. it's insulting and it's not the Ooh, right it's level. insulting well it is in a way um, you know they should find a talented drafter if they want their right. own if they want something more than they could have conceived of themselves they should go to an architect if they think they got it all and they know what they want don't 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 bother an architect that's you know there's a really strong lesson for the listener there which (laughs) is you you think you've got a skill in x in my case i i think i can design logos i can't (laughs) i can't i admit it Know which lane you're swimming in. And Christopher, <laughs> you're listening, and yeah. I know you know I don't. And he says, Mark, spend the money, get it professionally done, yeah. and you'll and in my new podcast, that's what I did. And I had 188 submissions. Mm-hmm. And I was able to find something that's just spectacular that never It wasn't what mil- you thought of? It wasn't the it wasn't the you first know, thought. Yeah. And so what I'm doing, what I'm finding is I'm editing my own urge to want to do that, want to have my fingers in it. I think as entrepreneurs and creative people, you think, oh, yeah, I can do it. It's not, and it's, you're, as you said, you're disrespecting the professional who, who can do that. I want to ask, I want to go back and ask you about, we were talking about intent. 
do you ever think of the house as a story? And if you were to stand up and tell the story of that house, does that cross your mind? I'm just curious. I don't think so. I don't think not so. The, not the way I think. I mean, I, can, I could tell the story of the process of how it came to be, kind of I've described, you know, we got interaction with this, that, and the other. Right. But the house itself, uh, it's just not, not the it's way just I not, think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's yeah. I, it, it, it's, there's so much about storytelling these days, so I'm just wondering, does that house have a The house probably could tell a story. Yeah, maybe so. Maybe so. <laughs> yeah, the house could tell a story. You know, back to that thing about people uh, respecting professionals. I had a fun little project I did a couple years ago. I looked at 15 films, feature films that featured architects mm. from the 40s to oh, a few years ago. Yeah. So um, I, you know, Gary Cooper in Ayn Rand's uh, The Fountainhead, uh, right up through, um, let's see, Steve Martin played an architect in Santa Barbara just a couple years ago with Meryl Streep. It's complicated. Oh, yeah. All uh -huh. right. So I looked at 15 films, um, and some of them are really not very good. Yeah. But I took clips out of those. I got 50 clips. I wove them into a storyline about how architects are perceived in movies. And then I've, oh. I've given this little lecture a couple of times oh, during nice. Architecture Week. It's very interesting because in the 40s, at least in the Fountainhead, the architect was godlike. Mm -hmm. And on to the, you know, the first part of this century, the way architects were depicted in some cases of like buffoons, you know? Adam mm. Sandler played an architect and it was a goofy, huh. disrespectful thing. And so in the lecture, I kind of concluded that this is part of the arc of the way our society has gone from the 60s, this do-it-yourself movement. You know, I can do anything. Oh. Architects, yeah, TV. Yeah. all nice. professionals are kind of knocked off their pedestals, which was good in a way because you don't want Gary Cooper and Frank Lloyd Wright to be, you know, beating you over the head. But um, it, it sort of, and the internet helped create these empowered individuals who thought they could do anything as well as a doctor or a lawyer or an architect. Oh, yeah, Web, WebMD, you know, has yeah. turned everybody into a doctor. Instagram has turned well, everybody into a professional yeah. photographer. And, and Word turned everybody into a desktop publisher. Right, right, mm -hmm. exactly. I mean, remember when that first came out? We yeah. got letters with 18 fonts on them. Wow, and, yeah, yeah. You know, all, all of that stuff. So to that point, I'm thinking that someone using SketchUp, which is my favorite 3D Isn't tool, it right? Yeah. It's, yep. fab it. it's fabulous, yeah. right? I mean, you can... I remember an, uh, one of the architects from Wayfront. Uh, I was in Portland visiting him. Uh, he's a very successful software guy. And during the day, he had said, you won't believe it. Because modeling, when we invented the stuff we did, it was hard. Mm -hmm. And then here's SketchUp. He goes, Mark, you got to go use it. So I got back to the hotel room. I loaded it up. And I looked out my window, and I modeled downtown Portland in half an hour and showed it to him the next day. And it's like, okay, this is pretty crazy good. I love it. But to that point, that didn't make me an architect. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah, no, that is, that is one of the issues today, and that is part of the, you know, the struggle we have and trying to find the people who, even if they do that, are still willing to listen to uh, a professional who's been doing it for 40 years. I keep thinking of Costanza, George Costanza and Seinfeld. <laughs> that was my opening scene. Was it? There, was it? You go on YouTube, somebody has strung together every time he said, I want to be an architect. Yeah. Jerry, yeah. you know. He identifies that as the, as the, like the pinnacle of like, 
if, if that would be his, in his life, he would have gained real respect. Exactly. Every woman would fall in love yeah, with it. Right, yeah. yeah. So you'll, if, if you Google that on YouTube or YouTube that on Google, yeah. you'll, you'll find, you'll find somebody has strung it together to music oh. uh, and it is so funny. Uh, listener, I will post that link in you, the show notes. Do you, okay. So, so where then are we now with it like like I, I don't mean to jump to the end of your your lecture that, that everyone should go see but but where where are we with how do you think the world perceives architects right now do what what kind of regard do they hold them yeah I still think it's pretty high yeah. you know I, I've tried to find statistics about it but you know I just sort of anecdotally it's a, a pretty revered profession maybe underpaid but still <laughs> respected um, but people are not afraid to criticize either. I mean, I think, hmm. you know, maybe that's what's what's changed a little bit. And what's changed is I think most architects know they can't impose their will anymore. Hmm. You know, you can't hmm. go in, even in Los Angeles, you can't go in and do anything you want. You have to listen. You have to work with the community because people are very aware of lots of things. Frank Lloyd Wright did that. <laughs> Right, he imposed his will. He imposed this, his will. There was no negotiation. There well, was Gary no. is doing that now. I believe. I feel like when I see really? Frank Gary, I see like he's kind of un, unapologetic about his choices. Yeah, and maybe he's he's got a love affair with the public right now, and yeah. maybe he can do no wrong. Um, see, but I see. I when I see it, I think that that's. I think he's in a little bit of. Uh, I'll only do the things I want to do, and that's kind of a disservice to community in my mind. Like, like it, it, it's not that collaboration that you were just talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there are star architects. Yeah, who, right. You know, people hire because they want them to sure. do do sure. their thing. Um, I think uh, the choice of architect for the Getty was kind of an odd choice of uh, Richard Meyer, mm. um, because everything he ever did was refrigerator white, <laughs> and. Mm. Um, they hired him, and they immediately told him, we don't want a white building. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what you... Uh, There's this thing called due diligence. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Should have looked me up. <laughs> that's, that's, that's all I do. I'm curious what... Um, so you were one of the early guys on what's now called LEED certification, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. In terms of LEED is... Explain to the listener what LEED is. LEED is uh, a, a rating system of buildings and neighborhoods and now cities. Neighborhoods? Yeah, it's, it's growing. Um, created by a nonprofit called the U.S. Green Building Council, which is architects and other design professionals. And so it's a voluntary rating system that is... Uh, third party verifies your design in terms of its greenness, in terms of uh, energy, water, materials, air quality, and maybe one other thing. And this is something that you do before you go for review, like the Architectural Board of Review, things like that? Does that help you sell You have it? to start it on day one because the lead process, uh, one of the fundamentals is you you bring the whole team together, everybody who's going to have anything to do with the building, the owners, the users, the, all the engineers, the contractor, and have a day-long charrette to try to, uh, you know, at least get the fundamentals of what the building should try to achieve. You're not going to buzzword bingo him on charrette? Oh, I was waiting for him to talk, <laughs> to stop talking. Isn't that a great so word? It's a great is word. an incredible word. I'm guessing it's French. It's a French word that means cart, 
and it was when architecture students in the Ecole des Beaux-Arts in the 19th century were working in their little attics, you know, doing their ink drawings, and the, um, the project was due at noon on such and such a day. Well, the cart would be brought through the street to pick up the drawings. Oh. So the charrette, which the students had to run downstairs, throw their drawings on the charrette that were taken to the school. So we use it now as a term for any sort of intense, multi-person design session. You probably have charrettes at yes. your, in your business. You yeah. get everybody together and yeah. spend an hour or four hours you know, brainstorming yep. and coming yep. up with something. Momentum. Yeah. There's a momentum to it. Yeah, mm. and, and mm -hmm. surprises because somebody way over here has an idea that you never thought of. That right? gets thrown on the cart. I've oh. got a great yeah. example of that. We did this building in, uh, for UCSB. And by the way, LEED is a voluntary thing, so um, some governments have adopted it as a requirement. UC has adopted the silver level as a minimum. I think UCSB uses the gold level as a second. Is there some above gold? Platinum? Yeah. So we did a lead platinum building for UCSB in San Inez. It's the Sedgwick mm -hmm. Nature Reserve. Mm -hmm. And we started this charrette, and I was a little, a little dubious about the value of having 12 people sit around that's for a, a day. You that's know? a so lot of voices. It's a lot of money, too, yeah. you know, mm -hmm. when you know, I, it's my fee, and oh, I, I'm on a fixed fee, and I, you know, negotiated that. But uh, toward the end of the day, we were talking about, well, how can we, you know, creatively heat and cool the building? Um, and then my mechanical engineer said, you know, it'd be nice if we could do a, a geothermal system, but the, drilling those wells is so expensive. And then the ranch manager said, you know, we've got some old cisterns here that, you know, like 10,000 gallons of brick-lined cistern that are full of non-potable water. And the engineer said, oh, we could use those instead of drilling wells. The water underground is like 60, 55 degrees all year long. So we put coils of pipe with a fluid in those Had things. those two people not been sitting in the room. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Right. Th that was worth the whole day. Oh, my god. You gosh. know, some of the other people were sitting there looking at their phones all day. Right. But that moment mm. meant that we were able to cut down the cost of producing the energy for the building dramatically. We can bring in 60-degree water in the summertime, and that's perfect for air conditioning. And in the wintertime, we just heat it up. Eight degrees, and it's great for heating. Also, just putting to use that infrastructure from from a previous generation yeah. is, is, in my mind, the best use of, of, yeah. of what we do. It's like a save. It's like cashing a savings bond or something. Mm. Yeah, mm -hmm. no, that's mm. a great analogy. And those yeah. things were non-potable. You know, they weren't that uh, they weren't that useful. But somebody knew they were there, and that was wow. the. That, that reminds me of the the story that I'm sure I'm going to do badly, but uh, of of a university back east. Um, that had a, uh, a large building and the timbers in the in the roof uh, had reached their their term limit had 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 <laughs> run out and um, and somebody came forward and, and said well you know this is going to cost us in order to restore these these timbers this is going to be you know an absurd amount of money and somebody from facilities came forward and said oh no we already have them they're in the oak trees that were were planted in the in this corridor in this in this and those were those trees were planted to replace these these oh my gosh. ceiling timbers. That's, here's the paperwork. Here's the from 400 years ago. They had made that plan, or 200 or 300. Well, years. I've heard that story. It's probably morphed and maybe yes, become yes. an urban legend. But I heard it as an English cathedral. Oh, there you go. Same, yeah, okay. you right, know, same right, idea. Right. Brilliant. You know. That, that forward thinking of saying like this is it's not just a, a temporary use that we're we have uses for these things in the future, future proofing stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So 
thinking about the future, where, but you're, you get to get your crystal ball out now. <laughs> and design the rest of uh, future. Where, where, if we, if you looked at a school, I don't know what school it is that you would say is on the leading edge of research in architecture and how we're using materials and being energy efficient, all, all of those things. What's the future look like? What, what kinds of things could we expect to see? I will tell you in a nutshell. Cal oh. Calif you know, I would say 20 years ago we were dreaming about buildings that produced more energy than they used, mm -hmm. produced more water than they used. It seemed like uh, a pipe dream. But in three years, the state of California is going to require all new houses to be net zero energy. Mm -hmm. Mm. They'll have to produce more than they use or a balance. We, we saw the um, Habitat for Humanity houses as they were going up, mm -hmm. the, the, one of their structures over off of Milpas. And that was the first time I'd seen a net zero house kind of in its guts being yeah. brought. Amazing yeah. technology. Um, this was part of California. I mean, I'm so proud of our state to be so progressive in terms of climate change. It's part of, I, know, I think it's Senate Bill 32 that mandated that we get ahead of the curve. On Since we can't. Yeah, since we can. And, since we can. And the, the cost of solar panels has gone down. Um, the cost of insulation has gone down. Um, I wish the cost of oil would go up a little more. We could use a carbon tax to sort of balance things out. But that is definitely in our future here. Um, we don't know exactly how it's going to work and, you know, what will happen if your house is shaded half the year and you can't do solar. But that's the mandate. And we're sort of trying to prepare ourselves for that understanding you know how you've got to make your house super tight and energy efficient to begin with before you try putting expensive solar panels on to to make that energy how hard is it to retrofit an existing home or business you know i've seen a few case studies of that in the bay area in particular and um it i mean it's it takes a lot because sure. older houses are not insulated and you have to do something to open the walls to add insulation. I mean, that's the main thing. Get a nice tight envelope, get good insulated windows, use high efficiency lighting, which is LED is now inexpensive. It's the norm now. Um, all of those things come first and then the solar panels get slapped on last. But yeah, it is more challenging with an older house, you know, that may have just two by four walls. It's hard to get enough insulation. But in. we can. Yeah, we can. There's this part of me that, that always, I, I just, I really want to return to led by great ideas, not led by, you know, well, how much does that cost? No, no, no. Mm. Is this the idea that we should be right. pursuing, right. you know, like right. regardless of kind of, uh, of, the, of today's cost? because today's cost is going to look minuscule in the future. You know? Yeah, mm -hmm. that, you know, we can show payback periods um, yeah. of, you know, five to ten years on on those kinds of energy improvements. And after that, you're, you know, if you've got solar panels, your energy is essentially free. So that's, I think that's a big piece for the future. Um, I don't know as much about how we're going to produce more water than we use, uh, except when we can clean up our... Waste the gray water. water. Well, I'm, I'm you know, our black water too. You know, there are systems that can completely, you know, clean it up and what is it? Well, called? we do it on the space station. Yeah, toilet to tap. Right, we know how to do it. Is you, that what it's called? Toilet, toilet to tap. To ta That's the the kind of That's word. A buzzword. That yeah. it's the negative. I think well, they found a nicer phrase for it. If you treated a planet covered in nine billion people, which we will be, as a space station, we're going to have to. <laughs> 
Sounds yeah, right. like Buckminster Fuller. Yeah. 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 There he is. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that's, that's the future. The other thing I see that I don't think is as important is I see a lot about the smart house where you can do everything on your phone to control your heating, to have your blinds go up and down, turn the lights on and off. I, so you grimaced that, when you said that, that. That's a very expensive, I think it's kind of a toy thing. I'm okay with the light switch and turning off the lights. Or or motion sensors, I think, are great. But uh, Those have I, been the ideas for the future house for, you know, since Disney Jets Land opened. Well, they're yeah. coming on yeah. strong now, you know, smart house well, sure. systems. Sure. And instead of a light switch, you'll have a tablet on the wall, and you'll be able to, you know, use light setting one, two, three, or four, or five, depending on, you know, what you're doing there. This touching tablets, I don't even know what you're talking about. Because with me in my home, it's Alexa. Alexa, oh, you're lights right. up. Yeah. Alexa, lights down. I mean, I am... You love it. I, I love it. It's not a strong enough word. But it's it's in my line of work, working with artificial intelligence and working with inference engines and working with conversational UI, which mm-hmm. is the new buzzword. Yeah. Uh, it's, I want to talk. I don't want to type. I don't want to have to touch. I just want to talk. And for me, I'm a chef. My listener knows I'm a chef. And uh, when I'm cooking something, I, while I'm working, I just say, Alexa, set the timer for 12 minutes. And I don't, I don't break stride. Can you get her to chop your mopois? We're working on that. <laughs> Alexa, we're, do we're, the carrots. <laughs> you know, um, I'm not there yet, but what surprised me lately is we'll be sitting at the dinner table talking, and the iPad is there, and... Siri will say, I didn't understand that. Oh. (laughs) And we don't have Siri activated. So now I'm a little scared that Siri's listening all the time. Take the iPad off the table. She is, but you're not that. You're not. This is is actually a room away. Yeah. Well, it's. it's, She's um, talking to Alexa. She's. Yeah. (laughs) It's far range sensing and all that kind (laughs) of stuff. It's. It's. there's there's a good news bad news story there sure. you know yeah. um, I think that my grandchildren are getting raised in that environment they don't even digital it's, natives it's, it's exactly and we're digital immigrants right so um, and, and thankfully for not of the work that I do I would this would all just blow by me it's so fascinating to be living in these times and to get to have a conversation with you who's getting to build the future I mean I, I love that. Uh, as we come to the end of the show here, I'm, uh, I know that Tim, who's one of our frequent listeners, uh, is wondering what we're going to call this episode. And you've listened to the shows, and you know at the end, um, you get dibs on what we would call this conversation. So when it shows up in a list, people go, oh, I've got to listen to that one next. You're putting me on the spot now. Absolutely, Mark. that's yeah. exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, and and everybody's listening. Like it's okay if we're quiet for three minutes while you think. Okay. Well, you guys have your conversation. You know, <laughs> you're, you're so entertaining. <laughs> you know, I first thought it was a life in architecture, but I haven't talked uh, as much about my career as about uh, process. You know architecture as a design process. I mean, I think that's a lot of what we've been talking about. Um, Maybe, you know, my life is a design process because it hasn't just been about architecture. I did the little children's book. I did the... um, We didn't get to that. I'm going to... Yeah. So you wrote a book called Dogs Build a House. 
I love that. I didn't know dogs had opposable thumbs. Uh, and you, gotta, you can run a saw without an opposable I thumb. I guess you can, because I'm looking at a book, which absolutely, this is fantastic. And you had it illustrated. Uh, you did John, this all? I did this last year. Um, oh, nice. I convinced my uh, good artist friend, John Haugsey, to do the illustrations. It yep. was a collaborative, another design process. I love it. Because I self-published. You know, I had to figure out how to do that. And uh, this is not a book that makes money. This is a fun book that I enjoyed and I give to clients, I give to friends. And, uh, but it, you know, when I got a dog, uh, and I know how much people love dogs, oh, it gosh. just seemed like such an obvious idea. The story of how something is built and what goes wrong and who gets frustrated, it's all in this little teeny book. I, I love it. And can we get it on Amazon? Yes. Yes. So I'll Kindle make a version. I will. Um, yes, of course. Let's not burn paper, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we will. Uh, we'll put a link to that in the show notes. Thank you so much for joining us. I appreciate the conversation. Like I said, I love talking to architects. So it's just that ability to see something that's not there is just. Um, it's something I try to do every day, and so meeting other people that do that, um, it's great. Thank great. you so much. It's we been can, fun. We can find you. Uh, your website is. ThompsonNaylor.com. That's right. Yeah. Yep. And I'll have that in the show notes as well. I also want to thank California Lutheran University School of Management and Tolman and Weicker Insurance Services and our podcasting partner, Pull String Press. If you're interested in partnering with our podcast, drop us a note to partner at 805connect.com. And Patrick, yeah. how could our listener help us? Well, as usual, rate, write, review. You know, I say those three words over and over again. Rate, write, review. Well, because you're reading the tattoo on your arm. Right, exactly. And I think uh, very often people just hear that and they let it they let it float over their head. Uh, it's it's it is it is a call to action. It is an opportunity for you to say, this is the kind of content I like listening to, yeah. or this is the kind of content I did not enjoy. Uh, either of those uh, feedbacks would be much appreciated, but, but reach out into the uh, world and let other listeners who are trying to pick a podcast know that this is one that you either advocate for or that you should shy away from. Um, both of those things are valuable to us. Just show us uh, that, that you're listening and give us a little bit of, of affirmation. Uh, and let us know uh, what we're doing right and what we're doing wrong. You know, I get I get letters from people who have suggestions for guests yeah. and uh, say they liked a particular show, and that, that keeps us going. You can be the architect of this show. Ooh. There it is. Ooh, nice callback. That's, yeah. uh, that's the way we do it. If you uh, would love to uh, send me a note or an idea for a guest, drop me a line at mark at 805connect.com. Thank you so much. We appreciate you. And until next time. This is Mark Sylvester, your host for 805 Conversations.